All right, well, good morning, church. Uh, glad to have you back for week three of our series on worldview that we're calling The Story of Reality. Uh, we're looking at the ultimate questions of life, if you're just joining us, ultimate questions that everyone, whether you are a Christian or not, you are attempting to answer. So last week, Pastor Dave eloquently walked us through the question of origins, uh, where did I come from? And uh, once you answer that question, it naturally leads to a second important topic, and that is the topic of identity. Who am I? That's the question we're going to explore today, and it's a very influential, a very influential one in today's uh, society. Now, to get us started, I'm wondering if anybody knows who this is. Some of you probably do. This is, this is singer, songwriter, and actress Demi Lovato. Uh, even though she's only 28, she has been active and influential for quite some time, beginning, as I learned this week, all the way back with a role on Barney and Friends back in 2002. Uh, I forgot that that series even existed, but she was on it. Um, to date, her records, her singing records, have sold 24 million copies. She's received numerous awards, and she boasts 55 million followers on Twitter. She has a large platform. And I mentioned her influential status because you may have heard two months ago, she posted this on her Twitter account, which garnered some attention. She said, today, I, uh, today is a day I'm, I'm so happy to share more of my life with you all, I am proud to let you know that I identify as non-binary and will officially be changing my pronouns to they, them moving forward. Now, as we consider the topic of identity, I want to pause and ask, what is Demi Lovato saying here? What is the message? Because her voice is loud and it's influencing a lot of people. Now, my understanding is that she was coming out of a rough season and she posted this. This is where she landed. But the message that she's giving is really influential. Now, why is that? It's because first, the first thing she says here is that she's sharing more of her life. In other words, she's authentic, which captures hearts, right? Secondly, she's suggesting that identities, particularly those centered around sexuality and gender, can change, which is a popular notion today. And then finally, she is using her voice to advocate for those less influential. Look at how she concludes with another tweet. She says this, I'm doing this for those out there that haven't been able to share who they truly are with their loved ones. Please keep living in your truths and no, I am sending so much love your way, XOX. Now, some of you may be saying, who is Demi Lovato? Right? <laughs> Others of you may be saying, I love Demi Lovato. Right? What I want to point out here is that Demi Lovato has 55 million people who follow her on Twitter, and she just made a pretty profound claim about identity. She was answering the question, who am I? The identity question may be the most influential worldview question in our culture today, and there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in it, because identity speaks to who we are. And if you look at the advertisements on billboards, or the 30-second spots of your favorite show, or the profile pictures of many of your friends on social media, you will find explicit and implicit messages about identity. These messages influence our discussions on things like sexuality and race and politics. Everybody is answering the identity question, who am I? The answer to that question is where we find our significance, which we'll get more into next week on the topic of meaning. But the, I think what we have to ask ourselves today is, are these answers based in truth? 
So let's come back to Demi Lovato for just a second because, again, her voice, I think, speaks for a generation. It's influential in the culture. Um, back in March, she appeared on popular podcaster Joe Rogan's show, and they discussed her sexual fluidity, which, if you don't know what that is, it just means that you can be attracted to more than one sex. You can identify differently. And here's what she emphasized during the discussion. She said this. She said, I'm done living other people's truths. I'm here to tell you that I'm going to live mine no matter what you think of it because it feels right to me. Now, I want to say up front, um, as it relates to the gender conversation, I do think there is such a thing as gender dysphoria, which is a psychological, like, psychological condition that pe where people feel an incongruence within their body. And I think people who experience that need a, a lot of grace. But what Demi Lovato is getting at here, it, it, it says a whole lot more about a larger cultural conversation that is problematic. Because she is saying here that each person can what? They can live out their own truth. They, they can live out whatever feels right to them. And, and this is where these stories of reality start to, di start to diverge. Because if we cannot agree on what is true, like biology, how can we determine what is real? What we perceive as good and true, that has a huge impact on our view of identity. Now, I recognize that there, there may be different types of people that are listening today or you're listening later on to this. Some of you may be saying, again, what is, who is Demi Lovato? Isn't truth truth? Like, why are we even talking about this? Right? Some of you may be saying that. Others of you may be you know, offended and upset that I would even offer any kind of critique of somebody like Demi Lovato because she's just being authentic. And, and that's what's most important, right? I'm using this example because it very clearly takes us to the world you divide in our culture. Demi Lovato is building her view of identity on a view of the world. Is it based in reality? Now, I would remind us of the key verse for this series where Paul writes to the Colossian church, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 8 of his letter. He says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now, if you don't want to be captured, you need to define what is good and true. And before you get on a pedestal about somebody like Demi Lovato, I would point out that all of us in this room, all of us listening at home, are building our identity on something. What we need to examine is whether we're finding our identity in cultural messages or in Jesus Christ. Because maybe for you, it's not sex, but it is, maybe it's one of these, right? Family. We can find our identity in our family. And to be sure, our families of origin play a crucial role in identity formation, you can't answer, who am I, without knowing where you've come from, because validation and affirmation are necessary to establish identity. But if we only look to our parents or to our spouse or even to our children for affirmation instead of Christ, it can lead to problems, because when you don't get affirmation from a person that you love, it can crush you. Where are you building your identity? A second category is career. Right? Many of us work high-powered, high-paying careers where performance and achievement are king. That success is something to be pursued. But if your identity is completely built upon achieving the next sale, closing the next quarter, getting that promotion, making enough money to buy that second house, well, it can quickly crush you. Where are you building your identity? 
A third category might be education. Right? We live in an area of the country that values education. I mean, we, we pride ourselves that we went to that university. Uh, now, I, I mean, I don't just have a master's degree. Maybe I have a PhD. A number of years ago, I, I, I moved here to work in youth ministry, and I was struck by conversations I had with parents and students about college. The, the message was clear, right, from, from people in our area. It was this. It, it's not enough to go to that college, you have to go to a well-respected college. Raritan Valley isn't enough. If you can't get into Harvard, well, you have to at least go to Rutgers. Education is a good thing, but when it becomes an ultimate thing, when it consumes our identity, if you don't get the right grade or get into the right school, you will be crushed. Where are you building your identity? Because we are all building our identity somewhere. Are you building it on the hollow philosophy of the world or the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ? Now, I think the worldview behind Demi Lovato's comments is something called postmodernism, and it influences us far more than we think, even if we're Christians. It is everywhere. It's the cultural you know, waters that we swim in, and we need to recognize it because it is crucial in answering this identity question. Who am I? Now, thankfully, Paul warns us about these philosophies in Colossians 2, but then he specifically addresses the topic of identity, the self, as he calls it, in Colossians 3. And so I invite you to join me there today, Colossians 3, 1 to 15. Are you building your identity on cultural messages or on Jesus Christ? And to examine this, we need to ask two questions and answer a call to action. The questions are this, where do you look? What do you produce? And then the call to action is to embrace the revolution. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive in today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word in these challenging, crazy, confusing times. Um, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you are saying to us today. I pray that we would be edified, that we'd be challenged. Uh, Lord, that we would be revolutionaries for you as we leave today for your glory and the sake of your gospel. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So first, where do you look? We are all looking somewhere to find our identity. Now, in his excellent book, Making Sense of God, Dr. Tim Keller notes that identity consists of at least two things. First, a sense of self. All of us live in different spheres of life. We're members of families, we're coworkers, we're part of friend groups, and, and sometimes we're alone. What Tim Keller says is that to have an identity is to have something that's sustained, that's true of you in every, of those, every one of those settings. Secondly, he says, you have to have a sense of worth. We need an assessment of our own value because the reality is all of us in this room, we want to matter. We want to have some significance. We want to have a sense of worthiness. That's part of our identity. Where do you look to find your sense of, sen uh, your sense of self and worth? Now, Paul offers an answer to the Colossians in, in chapter 3, because back in Colossians 2, Paul outlines the need to be grounded in Christ, to resist false messages from the world, and he also then discusses what our new life in Christ entails. And then as we launch into Colossians chapter 3, Paul shifts from the theoretical to the practical. What does it look like to live this new life? And in answering that question, he provides some profound implications for identity in the modern world. Look at what he, how he begins. He says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, 
set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, in this context, Paul is emphasizing a drastic split with the old self, which was an essential ingredient to this hollow and deceptive philosophy. In the Christian worldview, we have been given a new life, raised with Christ, who sits next to God, the Father, victorious over sin and death. Now, if you draw your attention to that middle clause, he says you need to set your sights on the realities of heaven. But more than that, he is emphasizing that our eyes should be fixed on Jesus Christ himself, who is the one who bestows, who gives us our identity. Why does he say this? Because he knows that we are all looking somewhere to find our identity. We are all answering that question, who am I? Now, the reality is every human will either look to Christ or they will look somewhere else. And as we've already said in this series, only Christ can tell us the true story of reality. But it will benefit us, I think, to understand the other key worldview stories in this conversation. And as I mentioned before, that's the top, that's the worldview of postmodernism. Now, you might ask, what is postmodernism? Well, similar to naturalism, which Pastor Dave uh, talked about last week, postmodernism generally holds to an atheistic view of the world. Does anybody know who this guy is? Right? Frederick Nietzsche. You may have heard of him for his famous line, God is dead. And of course, God got the last laugh because Nietzsche's now dead. <laughs> he is known as the great grandfather of postmodernism because God is dead in this worldview. Life is meaningless, there is no big story. Instead, we fill life with meaning by focusing on our individual stories. Now, if you would indulge me for just a minute, let me walk us through three major eras of history and their implications, I think, for answering the identity question. So the first major era is what's called the pre-modern era, which historians typically view as being 1500 AD and before, before the Reformation, before the Enlightenment. Ideas in this era were generally influenced by Greek philosophy, and there was an accepted belief in God and supernatural revelation. And truth was seen as, an object, as objective and revealed by God, and as a result, humanity was viewed as a created being with a fixed nature. In other words, God answered the identity question for us. Now, fast forward to 1500 AD, and you have the, the modern period, which is marked by the Enlightenment. In this era, science and scientific, scientific method are king. The result is is, uh, is an increasing skepticism of God and the supernatural. Truth is objective, yes, but it is discovered through scientific investigation. And humanity, listen to this, humanity is now seen as a self-determined biological machine. In other words, God no longer answers the identity question, we do, through scientific investigation. Now, the ideas of modernity dominated until you get to the late 1900s and the rise of what's called postmodernism. This philosophy is marked by the death of truth. Certainty about God is impossible. Truth is subjective. It's determined by communal experience. And so as a result, humanity is now seen, listen to this, as a socially constructed being with no fixed nature. In other words, the answer to the identity question is fluid. So we can create our own meaning and we can change, it can change over time. Now the worldview of postmodernism is everywhere in 2021 America. 
When you understand the postmodern worldview, you can understand why some people, at least you know, in their minds, can change their identity and their pronouns. After all, if your identity is socially constructed, whenever you develop a new friend group, well, your truth can change. Now, this can lead to some frustrating conversations. Maybe you've been in one. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone where you are, you're sharing ideas that seem to be opposed, but then the person you're talking to eventually says, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Now, truth in this worldview becomes a moving target, like, like trying to nail jello to a wall. How can you agree on anything, let alone the nature of reality? It's a different story. Now, here's the flip side of this also. If our identities are always shifting, then life can feel very unstable. In fact, because things are always shifting, I think that's one of the reasons that there's such a rise in anxiety today. If nothing is certain, even who we are, well, that would make me pretty anxious too. This is a product of postmodernism. Now, Paul tells a different story to the Colossian Christians. Look at verse 2. He says this, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, for, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all its glory. Amen. Now, what do you notice from these verses about the Christian view of identity versus a, a postmodern one? Well, for one, in these verses, there is someone to look to and something to look forward to. We look forward to heaven, not earth. There is a real life in Christ. There is a future hope of glory and purpose. In other words, there is certainty. There is security. There is something to build your life upon. In the postmodern worldview, there is no God. Life is meaningless. And identity is something you create because you insert meaning into your life. By contrast, in the Christian worldview, you receive identity from a creator who loves you and made you for a purpose. Amen. Which worldview is more attractive? And yet, many of us, even Christians, are influenced by this postmodern view of the world. And if you don't believe me, I would just present this Disney princess as an example to consider. I know it takes us back a few years, but you may remember that this is Queen Elsa from the movie Frozen. And there's a lot of other examples of this, but this one is just really, really clear. Even years later, the, the most famous song from the movie Frozen is Let It Go. Many of you can probably belt it out, although don't do that right now. What is the narrative of the film? Queen Elsa is different. She has powers nobody understands, and so she escapes to the mountains to discover herself. And when she gets up there, she obviously starts singing because that's what Disney does. And as the song builds to a climax, she proclaims these lyrics. She says, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no rules, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. What's the message? Rather than connecting with a source outside herself to receive her identity, she looked within to create her identity. And we love this message. We love it because it is the message of American individualism. It, and it's influenced by postmodern thinking. In fact, pop psychologist Wayne Dyer captures why this is so alluring to us. He says this, using yourself as a guide and not needing the approval of an outside force is the most religious experience you can have. 
Why? Because we can say we did it ourselves and it's euphoric. No one helped me. Congratulate me. It's actually, it's actually a form of self-worship. But that's why we love Queen Elsa because that's what she did. She did it. She, she found herself. She discovered herself. Yes. In his excellent and important book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, theologian Carl Truman details how historical ideas have led us to where we are today. It's, it's too detailed to go through. I just want to summarize and say he cites these ideas as important to recognize. First, we operate from absorbed cultural premises. In other words, if the postmodern view of the self is prevalent, we need to work hard to recognize how we are influenced by it. Second, the idea of self is intertwined with expectations of society. In other words, our identities are influenced by expected norms of society much more than we'd like to admit. Family and friends, cultural messages, they all play a part in how we understand ourself. And then third, the idea of what he calls expressive individualism displayed in Queen Elsa is an example of a constructed meaning that is prevalent in this postmodern thinking. Now, take all that into consideration. The question for us today is where do you look for your identity? Where do I look for my identity? Now, Paul says we should receive our identity from Christ. The world, the postmodern human philosophy, says we should discover it for ourselves. So here's a diagnostic tool that, that I think if you want to know where you're looking for your identity, you should just simply ask yourself, what is the thing that would crush me if I lost it? What is the thing that would crush me if I lost it? Now, back in 2008, people were questioning their reason for living when the stock market crashed. The loss of wealth crushed people and their dreams. I've spoken with others who have been in long-term romantic relationships, thinking that it was going to lead to marriage, and, and then it didn't. And that loss of love just crushed them, but it also revealed that it consumed too much of their identity. Parents can often find their identities in their children, but when a child is born maybe with health problems or when they get older and they're rebellious and, and difficult, it can crush the parents. Where do you look for your identity? What is the thing that would crush you if you lost it? Now, before we leave this session, let me, let me just give some legs to this conversation. How do we have conversations about identity? Author Isaac Dinenson wrote a book entitled Out of Africa, where he recognizes that there's three paths that we can take to answer this identity question. We all do it, so let me just frame it for you. First, you can look outward. People who look outward to discover their identity do this through their role in the community. So this is often like a traditional shame and honor culture where family approval is everything. It's everything. And it's also true of achievement-driven cultures where we look to our bosses and our colleagues and our organizations for our worth. Second, there's those who look inward, which we've been talking about. This is the 21st century individual culture where self-worth comes from looking inside and feeling fulfilled. And this is the battle cry of the younger generation. What, what, what is out there? We just simply say you need to follow your heart, right? Do what makes you happy. That's how you'll feel fulfilled and find your identity and meaning. But what are you saying? You're saying, I am looking inward to find my identity. But finally, you can look upward. And here's the great truth about looking upward. If you do this, it doesn't matter what society thinks of you. 
It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. What truly matters, what matters in eternity, is what God thinks of you. And in the Christian worldview, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us that we can have a new, durable identity. So ask yourself and ask the people you influence, where do you find your identity? Do you look outward? Do you look inward? Or do you look upward? Because it's one of those three. And then you can discuss what is good and true. So where do you look? That is crucial when answering the identity question, but you also have to go beyond that. Because remember what we said in week one, we said we behave in accordance with what we believe. So if you want to know what you're building your identity upon, you have to ask a second question. What do I produce? What do I produce? How you live will show where your identity is built. And it will show you how you're answering the question, who am I? So if we come back to Colossians, we can see that Paul shows us what a new identity built on Christ should look like. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. He says, so put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Now, if you read any of Paul's letters, you know he's fond of lists. Like, he's, he's a list-making guy. He'd have a bunch of sticky notes if he was alive today. He will often have a vice list or things we should avoid, and then he'll have a virtue list or things we should pursue. Well, this first one is clearly the former, right? The phrase put to death indicates that there needs to be effort on the part of the believer. Now, what's extremely interesting to me for our discussion on identity and worldview is that this first list focuses almost exclusively on sexual sins, Now, here's why I say this verse is so interesting. It's interesting because when the topic of identity is discussed today, it is is impossible not to think of what's been deemed as sexual identity, right? Our modern culture has elevated the pursuit of sex and sexual expression almost as a virtue to be pursued, right? I'll give you an example. Does anybody remember the promotion of this movie? You know, it's it's a bit older now, but... (laughs) The 40-year-old virgin. I've never seen it, but I don't need to see it to know that the title is meant to be negative. Why? Because it is unfathomable in today's world that someone would be that old and not have experienced something that society says is crucial to your identity. This, of course, began with the sexual revolution back in the 1960s. Make love, not war, right? That was the motto. How did it happen? Well, the first week in our series, we made this statement, ideas have consequences. And postmodern ideas have consequences. What are the ideas that led us to where we are today? First, you had Nietzsche, which we already said. He removed God from the equation. Then second, you had a guy that came along named Sigmund Freud. You've probably heard of him, right, from high school or college or wherever. He comes along and he says that the self or our identity... Our identities are projects of our desires, specifically, he said, our sexual desires, like the id and the ego and all that. What is the idea that spreads? The idea that spreads then is that sexual expression and discovery can provide meaning. And here we are. It's the result of a worldview that's antithetical to the biblical story of reality. And it's directly linked to what Paul says next in verse 5. He says, don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. 
In other words, sinful sexual desires are born out of greed. Greed comes from idolatry, which is false worship. And without a warning against worshiping things of this world, uh, and, and it comes with a warning against worshiping things of this world rather than God himself. What does a life that produces this say about our identity is what he's getting at. He's saying greedy sexual desires point to self-worship. That is what Paul is saying here. And this has been the product of the sexual revolution, which now sends messages that tell us how to build our identity and where to build our identity upon. It's an issue of worship. Because what you worship consumes you, and it can easily become the thing you build your identity upon. Charles Colson puts it this way. He says, Having elevated the individual as the measure of all things, modern men and women are guided solely by their dark passions. They have nothing above themselves to respect or obey, no principles to live or die for. Personal advancement, personal feeling, and personal autonomy are the only shrines at which they worship. Now, what Charles Colson is saying and what Paul is saying is that what you produce shows where your identity is built. The sexual sin that Paul is pointing to is linked to the personal autonomy that Colson names, and it's undergirded by a postmodern identity linked to expressive individualism where we get our identity to, by looking within. Or as author Robert Bella has pointed out, the identity is focused on what we can get out of life. It is a selfish identity. And modern culture has given us lots of reasons to be self-focused. Uh, first, our culture offers like an infinite level of distractions, an infinite level of distractions. Nowadays, you can binge watch television shows for days on Netflix. Maybe you've even done that. If life is too hard, you escape to your room. Modern video games are story-based. You can create your own world in a video game. An avatar, an escape in games like SimCity or Half-Life or Fortnite. The danger, as John Stone Street points out, is that it is easy for people to go through life without seriously considering things of greater importance. Secondly, we are faced with an infinite number of choices about what we can do, what we can look like, who we can communicate with, and where we can live. And if you're, if you're in the younger generation, this is just one of the hardest things I think about being younger. There are so many choices. How do you discern what to do? People today can walk down a cereal aisle and choose from a hundred different kinds of cereal. At this, all this points to why people today are building their identity on self-worship rather than God-worship. And so we should ask ourselves, what is my life producing what does it say about my worldview? What does it say about how I'm answering the identity question? So Paul shifts now to a positive call in verse 7. He says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Now, if you notice, this is a call to change your identity. He says, you used to be this, now you're this. In verse 7, he specifically now focuses on speech. Anger refers to a chronic feeling that manifests itself in subtle expressions of malicious behavior. Dirty language has in mind abusive language that is meant to hurt others. And so as it relates to identity, Paul's examples here show us that speech actually reveals our identity. Speech reveals our identity. Have you met someone and gotten a good first impression of them? only to have it change when they started speaking, like they opened their mouth. 
because speech reveals our identity. Within our, with, with our mouths, we communicate our worldviews. We reveal how we treat people. An angry heart will be revealed in our speech. People who are abusive with their speech often have worldviews that are centered on themselves or they have a wounded identity that is manifesting itself and hurting others. Either way, speech will reveal our identity. It's a product of our worldview. Now, Paul further encourages the believers in verses 9 and 10. He says, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and be like him. (laughs) Now, don't lie to each other communicates the need to be truthful. And some of us, listen, honestly, some of us don't know who we truly are. We haven't discovered our identity because we are lying to ourselves. Or we're lying to others, right? We've not embraced the reality that Paul has laid out in verses one to four, where we have a new life in Christ. We are building our identity on a false worldview, false notions like postmodernism that will, we, where we need to literally strip off that old self away and put on this new nature. And when we do that, we're going to be renewed. We're going to embrace our identity in Christ and we discover our purpose and meaning in life. In other words, we discover our identity when we pursue truth. Amen. Now, when we pursue truth that is found in Christ... This is the fruit that comes from it. Verse 11, it says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Broken barriers in the new identity, in the new humanity. You see, the postmodern notions of identity are meant to separate us into smaller groups. That's That's what identity politics is about. But the Christian view of identity actually brings us together when we recognize that we are adopted into the family of God by the blood of Jesus, and only in the family of God can you receive love and acceptance and validation and purpose. That is what our new life in Christ brings. So ask yourself, are you living out this new life, this new identity in Christ, or are you building your identity on on something like postmodernism that leaves you wanting? In Making Sense of God, Tim Cower points out the dangers of building on a postmodern identity. He mentions four. I'll mention them briefly. First, he says, postmodern identities are incoherent. Because if you find your identity by looking in your heart, you're going to find a lot of desires, and many of those desires are going to be contradictory. And that's going to leave you dissatisfied. Second, he says, postmodern identities are illusory. Because if you look inside yourself to discover your deepest desires and dreams, like Queen Elsa, you have to do it yourself, and you cannot rely on anybody outside you to affirm you. But the problem is we all crave affirmation from someone who loves us. Otherwise, we're left wanting. Third, postmodern identities are crushing because self-made secular identities are crushing because they're based on achievement and performance. In order to find worth and validation, you need to work harder and harder and harder and harder, and that's going to crush you. And then finally, postmodern identities are fracturing, right? Communities are not important because you bestow significance on yourself. Your individual interests are more important than that social tie. Have you ever known a person who is not connected to a social group for very long because they were always putting selfish interests first, and then later on in life, they're alone, 
If you want to answer the identity question, you have to ask, where do, where do I look? And it needs to be to Christ. But then you have to look at your life and ask, what do I produce? Right? That will show where your true identity is. And then if the old nature is evident, you got to strip it off. And finally, that's when you can embrace the revolution. Embrace the revolution. That's the final point. Right, the sexual revolution of the 1960s and the advent of postmodern worldviews have seriously damaged our understanding of identity. Chaos and hurt have resulted, but when you embrace a new life in Christ, when you listen to the true story of reality, your identity will be secure and fruitful. Look at how Paul finishes the section. He says, since God shows you to be the holy people, he loves you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Amen. Who am I? You are chosen by God, adopted into his family. You are loved unconditionally. Your identity is secure in Christ, and because of this, your life will manifest mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Do you know why? People who don't have secure identities are often mean and self-serving because they're always trying to prove and justify themselves. What they truly worship is revealed. This is especially true about forgiveness. Look at verse 13. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. That's a pretty revolutionary idea today, isn't it? Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And if you read that verse again in light of a postmodern world, you, you have to ask, when was the last time you heard a cultural conversation that made allowance for somebody's faults and forgave them? That's the great danger of this, this cancel culture moment we live in, which was birthed because people are finding their identity in looking down on other people and embarrassing people. At least I'm not as bad as them. But the Christian identity is built upon Christ who gave his life for us, who saved us and adopted us into the family of God. We can forgive because forgiveness is part of who we are. Amen. And because of that, verse 14, he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Love is our anthem. Not a secular, sexualized form of love that's contractual, but the love in the Christian identity is unconditional and familial. This is the revolution the world needs. A new revolution that is built upon the love that Christ gave for us. We love because he first loved us, and we have the opportunity to model harmony to a world. And the church is the only group of people in this world who can do this, because we all have the same story. We've all been given a new identity. Now, before you leave today, uh, let me just give you something tangible to do that will allow you to show love and begin a conversation, because that's part of what we hope this, uh, this uh, series will produce. We've developed a community survey that we want to give to you as a tool. I'm going to invite the ushers forward. They're going to pass out some cards. Um, the survey is geared towards people who either, who either don't attend church or are not Christians, but they live in our community. So as the ushers pass out those postcards, you'll notice on the cards, there's a, there's a QR code, that little you know, uh, Rorschach-looking thing in the middle of the card. 
uh, that you can give to somebody. And if you don't know what a QR code is, you can, what you do is you can scan the, the, car, the code with your phone's camera and you will automatically open your, it will automatically open the web browser on your phone and it's going to look like this. It's going to look like this. Uh, We've also listed the website on the card, so you can type it in and go directly there. Now, if you're not here in person, we can send you some of these cards if you'd like. Just contact the office, let them know. Uh, the, the survey is also on our website. It's going to be on the e-news that you can forward along to people. We try to make it as accessible as possible. In the survey, what we want to do is gather how much, we want to gather information on how we can serve our community, as well as their concerns about just the church in general. So you'll see questions on the survey like, like this. Um, which one best describes how often you attend any church? Um, what is the biggest barrier in attending church? Uh, what are the greatest needs of this local area and that you think NBC can help with? Right, so this is the type of stuff we want to we figure out. And we're looking to get as much participation as possible, so we're doing that in several ways. Uh, first, we're going to be sending this out to our digital mailing lists from previous outreach events. Uh, we're going to be sending... Uh, these postcards to people who've just moved into the area. Uh, but most importantly, we're, we're asking you, the congregation, uh, to, to take this and to reach out to local people that you know who don't attend church and begin a conversation. And so my challenge today is, is this. We're looking for at least 25 MBC people out of the hundreds that attend, 25 MBC people to reach out to five friends who don't attend church and ask them to fill out this survey. It's going to be open for the next month. So tell people just simply, hey, we're a church that loves our community. Uh, could you help us better understand the needs by filling out this survey? And then just watch what God does. I, I, this is a tangible way that you can begin a conversation with someone, maybe even on the topic of identity, I don't know, or their view of the world, and tell them we want to love you and we want to serve you better. And so as we finish today, I, I just want to say that I think people in our postmodern world are anxious because our world is fracturing. And it's taken a toll on our identity. People need an answer to the question, who am I in a world of uncertainty? They need peace. And they need a people who are peaceful. So look at how Paul finishes this section in Colossians. He says this, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Let me invite the worship team on stage for one final song. And as they come, I just say, our world is anxious. Many people are confused about identity. Could we be a people who show confidence and peace and love? Maybe even you start the conversation this way. You ask somebody, what makes you most anxious? And then you can tell them why you have peace. Start a conversation. Use this survey as an opportunity. And then if the opportunity presents itself Share what it cost for you to receive your identity. Tell them how you were once dead in your sins, but Jesus came and died on the cross for us. Tell them how your sights are set on heaven and how your identity is secure because you have a future hope. You are part of an adopted family who waves the banner of love. And when you answer the question, who am I? It is simple. I am a child of the most high God, who purchased me with his blood. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the security that we have in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we have been raised to new life just as you died and were raised from the grave victorious. Security, a future, 
a family. That is what we have because of you, Lord Jesus. Help us to set our sights on you, on the reality of heaven, on the reality of what you've accomplished for us. We love you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray that in your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen.